0: your passage. This evening is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. We found your pew Bibles on page 1902, so pretty far in the back there. And as you flip there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context to John's first letter. He wrote to a congregation who was dealing with Doubts concerning salvation, whether what they were believing was true or not. And the circumstance that led them to these questions was that a group from among this group of believers had left and began to teach false teaching and began to say, we are the real Christians. We are the ones that really believe the truth. You aren't. And so John, the apostle of love, Writes to them, and he tells us that the reason he writes to them is that they may believe and by believing um, have eternal life, which, of course, is the same reason he wrote his gospel. And that is the context in which John writes this letter. And so, what often is the case is that if, as you read John's letter, he's giving what you might call proofs of salvation or things to look at to give you an assurance that you have the Holy Spirit, that you have true faith. And, and one of these that he gives is our response to God's love. So chapter 4, starting in verse 7, reading all the way to verse 21. The Word of God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of God. Thanks be to him who has given it to us to ensure us of our salvation As I pondered a possible illustration that we could open up with tonight, I thought about the the risk, humanly speaking, that's inherent with love. In fact, think about this. Any of you, or maybe most of you, have had this experience yourself. You, at one point, were talking about Having a child and bringing a child into this world. And I mean, maybe as you were considering bringing a child into this world, you thought to yourself, how much risk is inherent in that? What if the pregnancy goes wrong? What if the delivery, something bad happens? Okay, the child's okay, that's fine. What if they they grow up to not believe in Jesus? What if they grow up and have cancer? What if they grow up and become criminal and bring so much pain and hurt into your life? There's a lot of risk. How about The idea of bringing a child into this fallen, broken, sinful, hurting world is enough in and of itself. Yet nonetheless, many of us here decided or chose that bringing a child into this world was still worth it. And the love that we have for that child goes beyond the risk of anything that may happen to them for their being in this world. C.S. Lewis said something very similar to this in his book, Four Loves. He said, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love, is hell. And that's what we're talking about tonight, love. And we're talking about it within the context of these arts of spiritual conversation, simple things that we can begin to do so that our lives begin to be evangelistic. Not in the sense that we say, you know, from uh, this time to this time, I'm going to be doing evangelism. And what I'm going to be doing from this time to this time is, is sharing uh, tracks. I'm not saying that this is a bad practice, but I want us to think more comprehensively about our lives. And think about the, the things that we do throughout our day that could be transformed for the gospel evangelistically. We've talked so far about noticing others, noticing their human characteristics that they are made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. Beginning to realize the people around us that maybe providentially God has placed these people in our lives for a reason. We've talked about praying for others as we notice them. As we ask God to bless them, as we ask God to provide opportunities for us to build a relationship with them. We've talked about listening to others. Going up to them, how are you doing? And then hearing about their lives, inviting them into your life as an opportunity to get to know them, to build a relationship with them, to hear about who they are and how they've came to be. And asking them questions that... Prove who they are. That show that you're truly involved with them. That you want to know about them. That this is about them. Seeking understanding. Providing opportunity to build relationships. But today we're talking about love. And this is our theme tonight. Love is the motivator. Of all evangelism. Love is the motivator of all evangelism. And we're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to look at first the the grounds, the foundation for all love in this world. God. Here's the key. God loves us. Not because of anything in us, but because God is love, as First John says, and we'll talk about that. And the second point, we love because he loves us. First John also talks about this, we love because he first loved us. This is the, the truth that springs forth from our acknowledgment. Of God's love toward us in Christ Jesus. And then number three. Love holds it all together. That all these things that we've talked about and the ones that we're going to continue to talk about only function, only work if there is love in it. I mean, we can think of 1 Corinthians 13, all that stuff. It's a, it's a clanging, simple, it's a, a, a gnashing, banging, horrible sound if we have not love, right? So, love is the motivator of all evangelism. When God loves us, we love because he loves us and love holds it all together, so... Let's look at point number one. God loves us. When you say those words, apart from any sort of context, it seems a bit arrogant or prideful. God loves me. But when you understand it within the context of the gospel, it becomes much more clear. Look at the first three verses of our passage tonight. Dear friends or Beloved, I prefer beloved, but this translation says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. There's one of those signs of of salvation. That we're born of God, that we're born from above. Think John chapter 3. And a proof of that, the fruits of that, is that we love. Whoever does not love God... Or does not love, does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. Here it is, the purest expression of this love that Paul, that uh, John's about to describe for us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. So primarily and most perfectly. God loves us in Christ. God displays His love, His characteristic of love in Christ that we might live in Him. This is love. This is love. Not that we love God. But that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins or as the one who would turn aside His wrath or take away His wrath for our sins. So, when we say God loves us, apart from reading here what it tells us, it seems arrogant. But when we read that John, the apostle of love, says in verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God. No. But that God loved us. He is the initiator. He is the one who loved us in sending Christ as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, our only sin. He sent his son. This is God's purest and most perfect expression of love in Christ. William Rees wrote a, a hymn entitled Here is love that became particularly important to the Welsh Revival, maybe some of you know it, but one of the stanzas is beautiful, it says, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, float a vast and gracious tide, grace and love like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice Kissed a guilty world in love. There's a lot of water in the ocean. There's a lot of water. If we put it all together, it would not even begin to describe to us the quantity and the quality of love God has for us as a perfect being. You see, he begins to show his love for us in creation. He shows us by making us in his image. But then he culminates that love, the revelation of his love, and the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From creation to the cross, we could say. And all of the scripture is about revealing Christ to us, revealing the character and the nature of God in Christ. The Bible uses a plethora of metaphors and attempts to describe God's love. You can think of some of them, parents' love for a child, husband's love for his wife, but they are that, simply metaphors. They do not fully capture God's love for us. The giving of Christ is a supreme expression of, Of this eternal love expressed to us. And it is this love, the character of this love in Christ, that we are called to share with others. Because we've experienced this love ourselves, we are motivated to spread it in tangible ways to people in our world who are burdened with guilt and judgment. Without God and without hope. So we could probably think of it like this. This is our heart. Don't make fun of my heart. I know it's not a very good one. You have to do this little thing at the end, right? That looks a little bit better. This is our heart. God, in redeeming us and regenerating us by the Holy Spirit, poured His love into it. And you could think of the heart, you think the center of the person or the truest, chorus person. But if that love just sits there, is it really, truly felt by us? Is it really, truly known by us? But now that God has poured his love in Christ into our hearts, we we share it. We pour it out. We give it. We express it in tangible ways to others. And this doesn't always have to look like evangelism. It looks like feeding the hungry and the poor. It looks like not fighting with your brother or sister. It looks like a lot of things. But one way it does look like is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Point number two, we love because I'm doing a this is the cool text shorthand for because he loved us. They need to come out with an emoji whiteboard. That's what we need so make it a lot easier. Verses 11 through 16, look at this in the passage. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So after John describes for us the character and the nature of God's love in Christ, he says... What do you do with that? What, what are you supposed to do with that, with that realization that in Christ, God has so loved us that he has redeemed us from our sinful condition? Since God so loved us, we also love, ought to love one another. God's love to us leads to love of others. God's love to us leads to love of others. Continuing, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Or you could say that the revelation or the expression of His love is seen in us. God's love is not somehow incomplete and needs to be completed by us, but our expression of God's love is being revealed in us. We know, verse 13, that we live in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. You can think, as John is writing this, he's considering the words that Jesus spoke to him in his gospel, the great high priestly prayer. You're going to be in us, and we are going to be in you, as Jesus said. I'm going to give you the Spirit. In verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This revelation of God's love to us in Christ Jesus is something that leads us to have an expression of love to others. And God's love for us can be hard to believe sometimes. Especially if we wake up early in the morning and look in the mirror first thing. Don't do that. Since we're often aware of the parts of us that we consider unlovable. Unlovable. Think about our culture and how it so struggles and fights and tries to hide all the unlovable things that we think that we have about ourselves. This can spread from breath mints to plastic surgery. I mean, there was a time when gray hair was an expression of wisdom and glory, as God's word says, and now every time my mom gets a gray hair, she's like, i got to go get some color and color it in. We try to cover up the unlovable parts about us. We're harsh critics of ourselves, and we're prone to judge others. Regardless, because of Christ, God considers us His treasure. His beloved children. Co-heirs with Christ. I mean, I can go on and on about it. All these wonderful things that we have proclaimed over us. His true possession. His inheritance. There's so many words to describe how God considers us in Christ now. So what do we do in response to this love? I mean, John has already begun to say... In verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to to love one another. But in verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. There was no lovely thing about us. We did not deserve the love that he has showered upon us. It is undeserved. It is grace. The love that he has expressed to us in Christ. Well, who are we to love? We're called to love the down and out, the up and coming, the atheist and the devout, the friend and enemy, no matter their color, their background, their socioeconomic bracket. We're called to love them all. Consider Christ again, who, on his time on Earth, was called a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Christ spent so much time with a kind of people that no rabbi should be spending time with that he was called a drunkard. A wine-bibber. That's our God. Hanging out with the undesirables. Loving those whom nobody else loves. Loving those whom have been rejected by society. And I think if we consider each and every day the love that God has for us in Christ, we will begin to be filled with that gratitude that the Heidelberg Catechism talks about. That gratitude that that just fills up in our hearts an expression of worship and praise to God who has redeemed us, a desire not only to live according to His law... But also a desire to begin to share the great and wonderful love of God seen in the face of Christ. I mean, do you know how many people need that love? Suicide rate skyrocketed in our nation. The amount of people who are on antidepressant medicine. The amount of people who feel so isolated and alone in a world so connected by Facebook and Twitter. The amount of people who have grown up in a nation with such twisted views of love what love is, what love looks like. Love is gimme, gimme, gimme. Not hanging on a cross, sacrificing for the other. God loves us. And we love because he loves us. We love because he loves us. Love is the great motivator of evangelism. If you do not have love for others, you will not have any desire to share the gospel with others. Love holds it all together. Continuing on in our passage... God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verse 17. And this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar, he's a hypocrite. For anyone that does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wrapping this up, John talks about the foundation for the love that we express to others, the nature of God's love. It's a love that is not in fear of punishment, but Love knows that God has forgiven all sins. But I want to pay attention to verse 21. He has given us this command. Who has given us this command? Who is John speaking of here? Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is what I want us to consider. Remember what the lawyer said when Jesus was asked... What's the great commandment, right? He said, Love God. Love neighbor, right? Love God, love neighbor. Why is that important? Because that's what John is speaking of here. He's talking about the primary ethic of all Scripture. Love is the primary ethic of all scripture. Love is what the Ten Commandments were spoken from. I am the Lord your God who redeemed you out of Israel. Therefore, love is what Leviticus is written in, believe it or not. Deuteronomy, all the Old Testament. Love is what the New Testament speaks of in Christ. I have given you this new commandment, that you would love one another. Love is the primary ethic of all Scripture. Love God and love people. It's what all the law and the prophets hang on, Christ says. That is to say that love must be assumed into all these arts of spiritual conversations It's something that I find interesting that here at the third week we're talking about love when really you can't notice, you can't pray, you can't listen, you can't ask without love and we can't do any of the other arts of spiritual conversations that we're going to continue to talk about without love. Love must come first. And from love flow all of the Christian life. <coughs> all of living evangelistically. Love comes forth from that. But the art of loving is the thread woven throughout all of the nine arts of spiritual conversations. It holds them together. It's the glue, you could say. The glue of Living as a Christian is that it's in love. If we do not love, we will never notice, we will never pray, we will never listen, and we will never ask questions. Love must motivate us before we ever choose to take an action that leads towards evangelism, leads towards an opportunity to share the gospel with others. Love is what holds it all together. Loved by God, we are compelled almost to love others. Or we could say, having received, now we give. When we experience the reality of God's love poured out in us, in Christ, it overflows into the lives of everyone around us. You see, there is inherent risk. In the human expression of love. There is risk in opening yourself up to another person. Providing space for them. Giving them opportunity to speak into your life. There's risk involved in that. But what I've tried to convince you tonight and to speak to you from God's word. Is that God's love to us And the overwhelming wonder and beauty and glory of that that we see in the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ should help us to see that the risk is worth taking. To enter into these meaningful relationships with others in love. To truly care about them to seek to understand them and to know them. And to all this in love, to open up our mouths and to say, I love you enough to tell you that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And that this grace and this love is available to you if you would only reach out in faith and take it. Love is the motivator of all evangelism. God has loved us in Christ and because of that we love others. Love is what's necessary in all of this if we are going to seek to provide opportunities for spiritual conversations with those in our lives and around us. Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could look to your word hear, be reminded once again of your great love for us and your son, and that, Father, we would not be cold and indifferent towards that, but that we would be moved Changed, transformed, motivated to share the the goodness of the good news again with those that we love, those we've not even yet to meet, those that you bring into our lives. May we love them truly and deeply and meaningfully for your sake. And may they come to know the love that you have for them in Jesus Christ.